like that. <laughs> he doesn't ask for permission. I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to hear a lot of truth here. And one of the truths is God doesn't ask me for my opinion. You know why? I don't always make, I don't always have all the truth. Do you? And uh, anyways, uh, I remember, uh, you know, I thought to myself, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this. But I thought to myself, what if only, you know, 25 people show up and that's all I ever get? Nobody else. Nobody, no, no more. And, you know, one of the things in my life, I don't know about you, is I always feared that I was going to be a failure. Always fear. Always back of my mind, I always knew, and I'm like, man, I'm going to be a failure. So it caused me not to try a lot of things. I just was like, oh, I'm not going to try. And you know what? One day, I remember I was in service at, at Mar uh, Norwich, and I was thinking to myself, because I never look back when we're worshiping, because I don't want to know how many people are there. And I said, does it matter if there's only 25 people here today? Does what you do, is anything you have to say any less important because 25 people are there or 125 people? And I remember I said no. I said no, just like the Lord was asking me. I said no. And you know what? I determined myself at that point whether there was five people who would come or there was 500 people who were going to come. I was going to love them to the fullest amount of love that I could do. And you know what, man? My life is very filled with love, and I could say thank you to God for that. Second thing is I want to say is this, is as we get ready to hear the sermon, Jesus would oftentimes gather a crowd, sometimes 5,000, 10,000 people, but I know that this is true. When Jesus called people in crowds like that, he called them individuals like this. And you know what? When he did that, they might have been in a crowd kind of obscured by so many different faces, but they knew Jesus was calling them individually, personally, and they came out. If you come out today, what you're going to find is you're going to find a love that is unlike any love you've ever known in your life. I say this all the time. God's love is not unconditional because unconditional love is not love at all. What his love is, it's committed. That means I will not give up. And you know what else you'll find? A family. And one of the things I love about this place is that the people you see here don't wear Christian makeup. They don't. You may find that from time to time. People are afraid to kind of show you who they are. But this place, you're going to find people who are genuine. They're very real in their life. They're willing to tell you their struggles. They're willing to tell you their passions. They're willing to share their lives with you. And you know what? You're going to find people who are sincerely in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to just you think about that as we pray and get ready for our sermon. Father God, I just want to say this. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing. You orchestrate everything. Absolutely everything. Lord God, it doesn't matter how a person got here today, Lord God. I know that you're the one who called them. You used someone else to bring them here today. So Lord, it doesn't matter if I speak. It matters if you speak. Lord, you're the one who has to call us out from the crowd. You're the one who has to let us know, hey, I'm talking to you. So Lord God, more than anything else, we want to be grateful but what we really want to see is that you be lifted high and glorified. And the greatest way for you to be glorified is to take someone out from the grave and bring them to yourself. So we're asking for that today, that you would uplift us and draw us to yourself, Lord God, and magnify your name. And all the saints said, amen.
So we're going to read from Luke, the book of Luke, if you've got your Bibles, it's one of the Gospels, the third Gospel, chapter 15, and it starts in the 11th verse. This is a parable we've probably all heard it a million times. Jesus continued teaching to the crowd. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between the two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. There he squandered his wealth in wild living. He had spent everything, and then there was a severe famine throughout the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went to hire himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him out to feed the pigs in the field. He longed to fill his stomach, even with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands, hired men, have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and he was filled with compassion. I want you to understand there's certain words that you're going to hear that you know what I've learned to do? I've learned to study what those words mean. And this is what that word means. It means I feel so moved by your pain, by your plight, that I'm willing to leave wherever I'm at to lift you up so that you don't fall. So the father is full of compassion for his son. And he said to him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. This is an unfortunate uh, uh, translation. What he's really saying is he started kissing him, and he wouldn't stop kissing him. So he wraps his arm around his son. I want you to picture it in your mind. He's kissing him, and he's kissing him, and he's kissing him. He's like, my son, my son, my son, my son. And then he says this, the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father waves him off and he says to his servants, quick, bring me the best robe and put it on him. Then he took off his own ring and put it on his son's fingers and he put his sandals on his son's feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it, for let us have a feast and celebrate today. For this son of mine who was dead is now alive again. He was lost, but now he's found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son who was in the field, when it came time for him to come near the house, he heard the music and he heard the dances, all the dancing. So he called out to one of the servants and he asked him, hey, what's going on here? Your brother has come home, he replied with joy. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he sees him safe back home and he's sound. The older brother came angry and he refused to go in. So what does the father do? The father goes out and he pleads with his older son. But when he answered his father, he goes, now I want you to imagine this. This kid's angry. He's angry. And he goes, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed what you had me do. I've never even, you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate my friends. But when your son who cheated squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes home. You kill a fatted calf for him? Father said, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have has always been yours. 
But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead. Don't you see? He's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. This is God's word. Very common. We've heard this a lot of times. But there's a lot of things we don't really get. You know why? Because this isn't 2,000 years ago. It would have made real big sense to everyone who was listening to it. As a matter of fact, if you were one of the guys who were listening to it, you'd have been really shocked. You'd have been really shocked. When I got saved, I remember a lot of things happened. For one thing, I was immediately delivered from a 15-year drug addiction in, in an instant. That's not a lie. That's not an exaggeration. In an instant. It was probably a $400 a week habit. In an instant, I was saved. And things started changing. I mean, changing in like record-breaking speed. And I remember it. I remember it. And I remember I started carrying around my Bible. Why? Because I thought that's what Christians did. You know what I mean? So I carried it around. But you know what I never did? Opened it up. You know why? Because when I was a student, I attended school, but I wasn't there. You know? Why? I don't know. I didn't really see much use in it. I had a hard time listening. I had a hard time paying attention. I didn't trust my teachers. I didn't trust authority. I kind of thought to myself as I looked out the window, there's a much better world out there than in here, right? So I carried it around, and I was like, man, I, I really don't need to study the Word of God. So I carried around, carried around, carried around, carried around, and my buddy goes, you know, eventually you got to open that book up, and you got to start listening to what he says, and I go, well, I go to service on Sunday. I can hear the pastor. He goes, no, no, no. Sometimes your pastor could be wrong. And you know what? I listened. I remember I was on the airport. I was working for the city my first year, and I was waiting to go out on a runway. We were waiting for the snow to come. And I opened up the Bible to the book, and I looked for the easiest part to read. So I went to the book of Mark, and I started reading. And from the very moment that I started reading, I'm, and once again, don't want to exaggerate, but I remember it. It literally grabbed a hold of me like this. And I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop reading. I couldn't stop listening. I would go everywhere. Some guys would go to church once a week. I'd go to church three times a week. I'd go to every group there was out there. My wife used to think, well, I knew he was crazy before, but he's crazier now. I'm not kidding you. She used to think that. She's like, dude, you're just an addict in a different way. And it was true. I was now addicted to Jesus Christ. The only difference is my old addiction destroyed everything that was good. My new addiction brought nothing but life. So anyways, I realized that when I was studying the word of God that I had to know stuff. Like when I would read, it was almost like God would put these words out as I was reading. Bam, that's a big word. And I could never figure out why are you telling me this is a big word until I started to realize I think I know what the definition of something means but I don't really. So I started to look for the exact definitions of words. This word prodigal, we call this kid the prodigal son. And for years and years, as I was writing this down, I was like, you know, I think I know what prodigal son means. What do you think it means? Don't, don't answer. But I think it means wayward, right? But that's not what it means at all. You know what it means? Recklessly wasteful. That's what it means. It means you have an extreme fortune and you blow it. And I thought to myself as I was studying this scripture and going over it, because I never go, I never go back over sermons. I always want it to be fresh. I always want it to be new. Because I want God to speak to me first. Because you know what? I need to be preached to. 
I don't care if you're following the Lord for 50 years. I don't care if you're following for two days. You need to be preached to every single day. The spirit who lives in you needs to talk to you all the time. You know why? Because my flesh is still got a big mouth. So the word prodigal means wasteful, recklessly extravagant, one who has a fortune but blows it in such a way that if you were to look at their life and you would see them in squalor, you would go, how did you get to where you're at from where you were? Let's go through the story a little bit. This story we read today is one of Jesus' final parables. It was probably given about two weeks before Good Friday, so he's getting everybody ready. He's kind of giving them the big picture. It's a real simple story, but it tells us a lot about who God is and his personality. You know what? God is a person, not a person like you and I, but he is a person, and he has a personality. And you know, one of the gifts of salvation is to know him personally. When you say you know Jesus Christ, you truly know him, and he truly knows you. And I'll tell you this, that's the power of salvation. Because when you know him in this salvific manner, it's like a grip. Because, once again, I like to be honest, I sometimes feel the desire to pull away. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? But he, because of my knowledge of this personal relationship, he pulls me back to himself in wisdom like, like nobody I've ever known in my life. For some reason, younger son, he gets pinned with being the bad guy in the story. He's the prodigal son. And you know what I want to say? He's a bad guy. You don't really hear that anymore. People like to say, oh, no, 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 that's a shameful statement. No, the kid's a bad guy. I'm going to be honest with you. He's a real bad guy. But you know what I know? He's not the only bad guy in this parable. In fact, the only good guy in this parable is the father. You know what some people might even say? He's too nice. He's, he looks so good, and he is so good, he makes himself look weak, and he makes himself look foolish. And I always think to myself, because I live in comparison, and I think to myself, would I be willing to do the same thing for my kid as this kid? And I'm going to be honest with you. I'd like to say yes, but I'm not really sure. I'm pretty sure if what was done to the father was done to me, I and you would have acted differently. The story is given at a very crucial point. A time of grace is coming to a close. We want to remember this. God is very generous. God is very patient. But it's a very foolish thing to get God's patience and his kindness as passivity or acceptance. This is a fact. The time of grace comes to an end. It comes to an end for everyone. For the nation of Israel, it was just about ending. It would end on Passover of 33 A.D., at the moment Jesus breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. The door for grace for the nation of Israel, not for the Jewish people, but for the nation itself, was closed. It will never be opened again. I know that there are some theologies out there that tell you different, but I do not believe I see that in the scripture. We are very certain of God's comfort, his patience, his compassion, and his willingness to love us to extreme suffering. But I think one biggest things we need to do and this is a big but we need to take God serious that's why every time someone approaches you and tells you about God you need to listen 
It's important. And you know what? From a guy who lived his whole life thinking from so many people, Tom, you got to pay attention. Tom, you got to pay attention. Tom, you got to pay attention. I didn't listen. And then you know what? Because consequences always come in. Years later, those words, they ring in my head, and I go, man, I wish I would have listened. That's one of those things. It's one of those truths of life we can't get away from, right? So the three parables that Jesus gives in this week would reveal what was about to happen. And he did it in a way that everyone could understand. So let's do this. Let's take a look at our characters. The first character that we have is the father. He seems to be what's kind of written in between the lines. It's insinuated that he's a man of wealth, success, and respect. That means in his community, he's got weight. You're looking at him. I work for the city of Chicago. You know the guy who's got weight. He kind of walks into the room like this, and everybody just pretends like they're working. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And you mentioned certain people who work for the city, they know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? And these guys got weight, and everybody who uses that name's got weight. This guy had steam. He had clout. When he walked around, people were like, oh, let me open the door for you. But you know what I also know about this guy? What it seems to me is that he's very kind. I work in an environment where I don't want to be crude, but it's almost like a contest as to who who the biggest, most influential guy is. And they trip over themselves to kind of do that, you know? And they're rarely kind people. They usually exhibit their strength by making people bend to their will. But this is not what this father does. He seems to be extremely kind. He doesn't seem to be motivated by pride or a desire to control through force or manipulation. You know, I grew up in a day and age, I'm 56 years old, where fathers and parents were a little bit different, <laughs> right? And I remember when my son was born, I go, I don't want my kid to fear me. My mother goes, son, a little fear is a good thing. <laughs> and I remember, I would fear my, they were great parents, don't get me wrong. They were, but I feared them, I feared them. If I stepped out of line, I was going to get them, right? And when my kid grew up, I made the mistake of thinking that was the only way I could influence my son. Never thought to do it to my daughters, but I did it to them. And you know what? By God's grace, the kid loves me now. He loves me. You know? I, I'm not telling you, I'm a, I'm a trophy of grace, man. You look at my life and I say, he did it. I didn't do it. You know, he gave, me, he gave me the jersey. I didn't earn it. That's what salvation is. It's not about me trying to prove to you that I'm anything. I'll tell you the truth. I'm nothing. He's everything. But you know what, though? That's the most freeing thing I've ever known in my life. It's the most freeing thing I've ever It's the most strong, powerful thing I've ever learned in my life. So he's not a person who is motivated by pride or the desire to control through force or manipulation. So one day, his younger son... Most likely after a long days of work, I could just imagine, I'm just kind of sitting there. I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching him. The kid's probably eating, and he looks down at his plate, and he goes, you know, Dad, you know what I was kind of thinking? You know, maybe, you know, I'm about 20 years old now. I, I was thinking maybe I'd like to go out on my own, and I'd like to see the world. The father doesn't say nothing. He just looks at him, he listens, and then he drops the bomb. He says, hey, how about you give me my share of the inheritance now? 
You know, one of the things that really gets lost here is in our culture, this is not a big deal. We expect our children at some point to go, I've outgrown the coop, i got to go live in the world. This is an honor-based society. That means you are devoted to your family. Family is everything. It's commitment to family. And this kid says, I'm taking all that, throwing it out, and I'm going to be committed to me. This is a powerful thing. It's an incredibly insulting thing. But the father doesn't really say anything. He simply complies. He does it. Like so much so, if I'm this guy's brother, I take him off to the side and I go, are you crazy? Did you hear what that kid did? You know what he should get? This, boom, as you kick him out the door. But the father does it. He does it, and he doesn't even blink an eye. A few days later, I can imagine it's at the end of the day, he looks at his father, he goes, well, Dad, by the time you get up in the morning, I'll be gone. When we read this with modern eyes, we think to ourselves, well, what's the big deal? The kid's got to grow up, right? But let's read between the lines for a minute. The young son, I think, is assuming three things. First of all, he's assuming this, that he deserves anything. He goes to his father. He's like, hey, give me my share. You know what the father could have said? What's your share? What did you contribute here? Where's your part here? Where was your investment? Did I ask you for help when I was building this empire? What do you think you deserve here? You know, can I tell you something? Sometimes as a father, when your kids get out of line, you kind of want to answer like that, don't you? You want to tell them stuff. You want to say, hey, listen, kid, don't make the mistake of thinking you're something that you're not. You know? After all, it was the father's stuff. He was the one who had the plan. He was the one who had the wisdom. He was the one who took the risk. It was the father's success. He was the one who made it good. And you know what? The younger son, he was simply born into the right family. But he thought, I deserve this. Okay? I've been there, so I'm not going to be too hard on the kid. The younger son, I believe, thought, well, you know, this could be my payment for all those years of labor. But you know what he conveniently forgets? How his life has been provided for. All the things that his father gave him every day, all the meals that he was provided for, all the clothes that he was given, all the care that the father gave, all the opportunities, all the privileges, all the stuff that his father gave his son without ever expecting a repayment. Forgot all about that. You know what? That's what happens when I think I deserve. When I become committed to myself. And can I tell you something? That's the chief problem between man and God. Who's life going to be about? And in it, it all, when I sum it all up, is it going to be about you or is it going to be about me? You know, we have an inclination, and I'm, I'm right there, to kind of wait time. Why did the guy give all these things to his son? One simple reason. I love my kids. You know, I tell you, at 56 years old, I think the greatest thing that I can do now is to give to my kids. I take them out for dinner, and they're like, hey, let me chip in. I'm like, no way. I want to sit with them. I want to enjoy meals with them. I want to give to them. If they need, I do it. Why? Because I think to myself, I didn't give you anything. I got you the gift. And you know what? I, 
better thing could I do in my life but to be involved in your life? It's almost like a gift for me to give. You understand what I mean? And this is the way the father thought. He was like, man, I love you. You have no idea how much I love you. The third thing I think that this younger son is assuming, and I think that you can all kind of see where he's coming from, he assumes that his father is holding him back from a better and more fulfilling life. You know, I don't think people don't come to church because they're like, oh, that place is full of hypocrites. You know what? The world's full of hypocrites. It's like not going to the gym because people are out of shape. We think, and we know deep down inside, if I go there, take this seriously, listen to him, and come follow him, I'm going to have to say no to me. Isn't that the truth? By asking for his inheritance, he is saying to his father, hey, Dad, I'm grateful for everything that you earn. I'm grateful for all the treasures. But you know what? I don't want you getting in the way of me enjoying and I think to myself as I wrote down those words, you know how easy it is for me to go hours, get up in the morning, take a shower, have food, have a cup of coffee, think of all these good things, see what I just, and never give him permission. How easy it is. So easy it is to forget him. Right? And I know his goodness. I know it. I've been saved by it. And I think to myself, how much more difficult is it for those who have not been awakened to the truth? This kid says, in effect, my life would be better without you in it. Or if I could limit you in it. So what does the younger son do? He gets up in the morning and he goes to a distant city, far, far away. Why? Because he doesn't want anything that's going to remind him of his father. He wants all the stuff. He wants to enjoy it without the possibility of feeling shame or guilt. I always like to say this, when you come to Christ and he starts to work on you and he starts to get you to agree with him, there's things that you will want to do. Like here, for instance, this is a big one for me. When someone who's close to me insults me, I want to defend myself fiercely and then I don't want to forgive him right away. Why? Because they hurt me. They made me feel bad. They cheated me. And you know how he works on me? Is he waits until I get tired of the resistance. And then he says, how much have I loved you? How much have I loved you? That's what the kid's doing. He doesn't want any memory of how good the father loved him. You know why? Because every time he drank that drink, every time he put his arm around that pretty girl, every time he threw that money down on the bar, every time he lived like a big shot, he'd remember that he took this money at great insult from a father who loved him like nobody else so that's what he did he thought to himself i gotta get rid of this guy i can't have him in my mind well what does he do he finds enjoyment i'm not gonna lie to you a life apart from god will give you a certain amount of enjoyment it's what it does he lives it up why well he's the boss he can make his if he wants to get up he gets up he don't you do it he's the one who's calling the shots he knew that living with his father limited his boundaries. Now he was the one who called the sharks. 
To be part of his father's family involved sacrifice. To be part of his father's family, it involves self-denial. It means me saying no to me. And you know who's got the most demands in my life of me? Me. I remember one time I was brand new. I got, I got stories, stories for days. And I was at work, and everyone was going for beer. And they go, Fitz, go with us for a beer. And I go, nah, I don't want to go for a beer. And then this guy, Pat Campbell, good guy, love him. He goes, Fitz, he goes, come on, sure you could go for a beer. And I go, nah, I don't want to do it. He goes, just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you can't have a beer. And I go, yeah, you're right. That's true. That's true. But you know what, though? I choose to not go have a beer. He goes, you see, that's why I will never follow Jesus, because it makes me a slave. I go, no, Pat, I'm free. I go, if I want a beer, I could go have one. But I don't want, so I don't have one. But you know who's really a slave, Pat? You are. When you say, I want a beer, you know who you obey? You. And you know what he did? Got up and walked away. He didn't want to hear it. I still love him, though. To be part of this father's family meant that you had obligations, that you had duty. These things don't have much in common with self-pursuit. You know what I know, though? From this story, reality, reality always has a way of ending the party. We can do these things. We can choose these things. God has given us the ability to make choices. We can go whatever direction we want. But the truth is, eventually the party ends. Everybody knows it. And usually the party ends when you're not expecting it to end. You're thinking, oh, I got a couple more hours. And sure enough, that's when the lights go off. You know what I told my boss one day? Because I still have a problem with authority. I go, you know what? One day, the day of worshiping yourself will always come to an end. He didn't like that too much. But it's the truth. The day of worshiping self always comes to an end. A life away from the father's authority. This kid thought would offer him freedom, but in reality, what it made him was a slave. It gave him slavery with no chance for rest or relief because that's where he was. He was feeding pigs in a field and he couldn't even fill his stomach with the stuff because everyone said, no, not for you. There he is. That's where he's at. No hope, no rest. But the story doesn't end there. At some point, as the kid is probably thinking to himself, two things I think, if this were me, I'd be thinking, man, I kind of earned this, didn't I? But I think I'd also be thinking to myself, man, I wish somebody would listen. Well, he wakes up. We live in a woke generation. This kid was really woke. That other stuff, I don't know what that is. That's actual blindness. That's more like, hey, if you pursue you, then you'll really find joy in living. You'll really find purpose and meaning. And you know what you'll find? Smoke. Oh, there, there. Oh, there it is. Gone. Everyone who's lived past 30 years old knows what I'm talking about. No offense. I know that sounds prideful. Don't take it the wrong. So he woke up. And you know what he woke up to? He remembered his father's love for him. That love that his father had for him was like a little voice, and it was calling him home. It was like that voice that I heard the other day when I didn't want to forgive my wife for that argument, when I had every reason 
to say, no, you always overstep your boundaries. I don't do that to you. Why do you do that to me? I fought tooth and nail. And man, all he kept reminding me is how well he loves me. Until eventually, I had to text her, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and I'm going to repent. Why? Because he twisted my arm? No, it was that small voice. It was a love like no other love. And that's really the gift of salvation itself. So, the son comes back to the father in what Jesus would call poorness of spirit. You know why? Because that's the only key that unlocks the door to heaven. Poorness of spirit means, I agree, Lord, I'm not where I should be. I agree, Lord, I've hijacked the purpose of life. I agree, Lord, I make it about me. I agree, Lord, you know what? I have a tendency to make things about me. I agree, Lord, God, if it's a choice between others and me, I'll choose me. Some people can never agree with that. They'll say, no, 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 that's not true of me. Then you don't need salvation. He came back with no excuses. He came back with no demands. He accepted full responsibility. Everyone who comes to faith does that. Everyone. You know what he says to, God says to the people of Israel in Jeremiah's day who are resistant, resistant, resistant. He goes, you cannot expect me to fix an injury that you refuse to say exists. You know that the first step the first step into the kingdom is realizing you need to be saved. No, this ain't a good idea. This isn't like, oh, yeah, 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 you, you, you know what, you, know, you, need, you need to get some good things in your life. You know, come to church every once in a while. You don't know, see how it works out. It'll make your life better, like a trophy. No. No, this is a matter of life and death. And unless you see that, and you can only see that by grace, what you become is a church attender who comes and goes. It's very casual. It's very cool. And it does bring some fulfillment into your life. It does add beauty to it. But it won't save you. Won't save you. David says this in Psalm 51, verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. The thing that always kids me, this was the, this was the psalm that God used to break my back. So resistant until that psalm. I remember it was 9 o'clock at night, and I was, man, I was sober for about three weeks. My buddy Bobby Burns called me, and I'm like, that's it, man. I got to run. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And you know what? He read this psalm to me, and you know the thing that caught my eye more than anything else is he said, have mercy on me according to your great love. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, have mercy on me because I served you. He didn't say, have mercy on me because I was a good guy. I was always faithful. He didn't say, have mercy on me because I gave or I served or I did this or I did that. He said, I know who you are. You are merciful. You are good. And I know that love. I've tasted it. And I'm asking you to forgive me. You've got no reason to forgive me, but I'm asking you for it. And the only reason I'm comfortable asking it is because I know you're going to give it to me. That's salvation. That's salvation in a nutshell. Right there. The father sees, as we're told, his son from far off. Why? 
Because the father never forgot the son. The son forgot the father, but the father every morning would get up and he would walk out onto that road. And he'd go, one day my kid's going to come down there. One day my kid's going to come down that road. How can you be so sure? Because I loved him. And he knew it. And one day he's going to wake up. You know, when I'm preaching to 500 people, 200 people, I've never preached to 500 people. I've preached to a couple hundred. But I want to say this. I never worry about saying something that might ruffle feathers. You know why? Because Jesus always speaks to that one person. That one person will know that God is saying, you know and I know I love you better than anyone else. And that person's going to come. All right, let's go back to our story. Every day he looked. He knew that his child would resist. One day resist no more. He's overwhelmed when he sees him at a distance. So what does he do? He doesn't do what any self-respecting father would do. Would be like, well, I'm going to wait right here until he comes to me. Right? Because he's got to own up, right? He's got to admit. Listen, we could start again. I'll let all bygones be bygones. But that kid's got to say it. He's got to throw it up in front of me. Sorry for the words. No, he doesn't do that. He picks up his robe and he runs to his kid. Who does this? I read this and I'm like, who does this? Who loves anyone like that? Nobody loves people like that. Every one of our love has its limits. I guarantee you, there's always an expectation for whatever love you get on this earth. There's an expectation for return upon investment. I'll love you, but I'm expecting a return. And guess what? When I don't get it for long enough, you know what I'll do? I'll leave you to go find another. You know that's true. But not him. Man, not this father. What he did would cause every other father in that village who saw him to lose all respect. But his father is compelled by love. He compels him so strongly, it exposes him to scandal, to ridicule, and to slander. You know, one of the greatest gifts from angels, this is going to sound crazy, please listen to me. I always think if an angel himself were to come to me and say, Tom Fitzmaurice, at the end, Jesus is going to say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. You know what I would say? Can I still serve him today? I know that sounds crazy. You know what God has given me more than anything else? He has made my heart love you. I know it sounds cliche. But I love the church in a way I have never loved anybody in my life. And I'm telling you, it compels me to do crazy stuff, man. It compels me to say no to things that I would never say no to in the past. And you know what? Here's the thing. It's never not done reaching. It keeps reaching for more. Once when I think, okay, that's enough, he's like, no, 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 you get that packet over here. I got to get it back. That's that same love. That's what you'll get. That's how you know you've crossed from death to life. It's not about painting yourself as holy and walking around like this. No. It's not about fine stories about how I had visions. 
So I'm not even sure these things are true. I'm just being honest. Know how I do know in someone's life? They love people like Jesus. Or close to him. So what does he do? He wraps his arm around his son, and the words that are given to us says that he would not stop kissing the young man. These are not the actions of someone who was disrespected like that. These are not the actions of someone who was insulted. These are not the actions of someone who felt used and cheated. This love, his love, the father's love, is different from any other kind of love we will ever experience. It is the most transformational gift we will ever receive. God doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't put fear into us like, if you don't, I'm going to break your arm. He puts a fear in us to say, remember what life was like before you knew this love. And you know what you'll say to yourself? Man, I don't, I don't want to hold on to this if it cheats me of that. That's what I fear more than anything else. I don't want to miss out no more. Why? There's a lot of sparkly things in the world, man. A lot of sparkly things. That's why I always feel sorry for young people. You know why? Because people will tell you all sorts of things that look so glamorous out there. Man, if I could just go out there, people are going to love me. They're going to see me for everything. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. Sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. Some of it does feel good for a long time. But I've never, ever gotten anything that's even remotely comparable to the love of God in Jesus. Let's wrap it up. He wraps his son around the arm. This is a different kind of love. What does he do? He tells his servants to take the pig-stained clothes off of his son and put on the finest robes. Where would he have gotten the finest robes? The kid left with all the stuff. It was his clothes. He goes, go get my clothes my best clothes and put it on this kid who cheated me, robbed me, insulted me, said he would be better off without me in his life. Put him on him. Why? Why would you do that? Because I love him. He was dead. Here he is. He's back. Man, I don't get it when people resist. I swear to you, I can't. it's got to be death. It's got to be death. Is this the reward for betrayal? Was this the reward for insult? Yeah, that was the reward for all these things, that you could wear the Father's very own rings and the Father's finest robes. If you have even the slightest sense of justice, this is shocking. You're insulted to see it. But that's the love. This kid deserves the door slammed in his face. He deserves to die in the mud. And everyone to look at him and go, look what your decisions have brought you. But that's not what he gets. He gets a party. He gets a party. Man, this is crazy. It's a crazy love. And you know what? To be a life that tells everybody about this kind of love is the greatest thing you will ever be a part of. I don't care what success is being offered to you. Nothing's close. After all the choices that kid makes, he gets a feast in celebration of his return. There's one guy that we did forget in this story. It was the older son. We don't know much about him at all. He seems to be always working, right? 
He seems possibly, maybe, could be very committed, could be very faithful to the mission. Maybe he was hardworking. Maybe he was sincere. We don't know nothing about him until the father kills the fatted calf. Then everything gets uncovered. This kid was a hard worker. He did all the right stuff. He was moral. He was upright. He might have even been religious. But you know what he wasn't? Full of the father's love. He was angry over one thing. You took my stuff and gave it to him. I served you. That's mine. You know what that tells me? You could go to church for 50 years. You could be an elder, a pastor, anything you want to call yourself, and you could do it solely for your own purposes. You know what it tells me in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10? I am saved by grace. That is a gift. It is not earned by anything I've done. Why? So that every temptation that I will have when I meet him on judgment to take credit will be taken from me. You did it. You did it. You were the one who saved me. I got nothing to offer here. It was you. You did it all. That's what it is. But the kid, he served his father all right because he loved his stuff more than he loved his father. Wow, I feel bad for the father. Okay, this is where it ends. Jesus is telling you and me the real sin of humanity is this. It's not going out with prostitutes, although that's a use in a terrible way to live life. It's an abuse, taking and stealing from society, using others for your own purposes. It's not getting drunk, although that's an incredible way to ruin your life. It's not about even stealing or swearing or anything else you can name. Those are all terrible, awful things. It comes from one root and one root only. All of mankind tries to hijack the purpose of life away from God. I believe and want to believe life is about me. God says, if you do that, you will find yourself empty in the end. But if you give your life to me, because it was mine to begin with, I'll give you real life. Those are his words, not mine. So we all kind of end up in two categories. Some of us, like myself, I was openly self-serving. I was rebellious. But some, they hijack life by being moral, religious, upstanding, and self-sufficient. I remember when I was told that I was going to go to Norwich. This is a community of people who work two jobs, mom and dad. They send their kids to college. They got them in baseball, soccer, all these different things. And you know what I realized God was telling me to do? I'm going to have to tell all these good people that all the things that they've earned, that they think is God saying, you're great, is actually the weapons you use to keep them far away from me. Bam. Isn't that funny? Apart from grace, neither group really loves the Father. They desire, love their own desires and themselves most. It's not like they didn't love God. They just love themselves more. It's something we're born with. 
I wish I could say, straighten up, try harder, do, go to self-help groups. Do it. No, no, no. You have to be saved. You have to be saved to live the new life. And then every day it's a struggle to say no. Because your flesh will constantly say, don't give that up. Because if you do, you'll have nothing for yourself. And Jesus says, you have been with me forever. Everything I have is yours. Let's stand up. In the end, the only ones who were able to celebrate at that party were the people who knew how good the Father's love was. That's what salvation offers you and I. So let's worship together and let's think about a Father's love that is unlike any love you've ever known.